So, do you have a favorite alcoholic beverage of choice? No. None? Uh, I actually do really like Lone Star, which is nice because we're in Austin and that's where it's popular. So, so you're at the party, you're at the bar, every drink is available to you. You're going to just choose a beer. Yeah, a Lone Star or a Labatt Blue. I'm from. I'm from. You up brought a north. German. You brought a German beer to one of my parties once. I don't remember that. Sonia must have picked that out. Ah, um, the truth comes out. I do. I don't know if this is. Pro- I'm not a. I'm not an alcohol guy, so I don't know if this is like uh, sacrilege or not. But uh, I like Dr Pepper and Soco. <laughs> So it tastes good to me. Uh, How about you? Do you have a, I'm sure you have a much finer palate. Me, me the person who was born with a silver spoon, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I mean, okay. If I'm just at my house, it's vodka mixed with whatever's around. Milk. Ew, no, obviously not. Um, but I've done kombucha before. I, you know, I've tried. I've tried a few things. Vodka mixes pretty well with almost anything. Um, but that's if I'm not trying to impress anybody, and if I'm just trying to get drunk, and you know, I'll, I'll have wine or beer or something like that when I'm at home. But if I'm out and about in a bar and I want to look cool. Then I really like old fashions, uh, an old fashioned uh, with the whiskey or rye is is really really nice. Um, but if I'm being truly honest, I don't like old fashions as much as I like just a good whiskey sour with the egg white in it. All right, yeah. Yeah, they, I, uh, shake, they shake it up and have you had them before? It's kind of foamy. I don't think so. No, I, 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 I will try pretty much anything once. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, an ancient, ancient Kentucky recipe, probably. I don't know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they, uh, they, they put obviously sour mix and, and all that with the whiskey and then the old style they'll shake it up with an egg white and then when they pour it into the cocktail glass for you it has this kind of white foam on top i mean there's probably something really unhealthy about just eating raw or drinking raw egg whites uh as you drink whiskey at the same time well the alcohol the alcohol's gotta like (laughs) neutralize the salmonella somehow I mean, I'm sure that's what people tell themselves when they uh, drink a real whiskey te- whiskey sour. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we toast and get started? Let's do it. Come by. This is Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I'm a fan of rom-coms. I'm Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. What do we do each week, Brett? 
Well, each week we uh, we pick a movie from our respective genres. We watch the movies, we review the movies, and then we remix the movies. We turn the rom-com into a horror and the horror into a rom-com. That's right. And this week, our theme is alcohol, not anonymous, because you know who we are. Yeah. And neither of us are alcoholics. That's always a good thing. Yes. I, I, you said in the beginning that you are an alcohol guy. And I confess, even though I've, you know, over time picked my drinks that I've decided are my drinks, I'm not an alcohol person either. In fact, all my life, I felt like a failure when it comes to drinking because, you know, I've watched so many movies, horror, romance, and otherwise, where people are having the time of their life drinking. And I, you know, it's just never happened for me that way. How about you? Oh, yeah. I've had the time of my life drinking. <laughs> oh, yeah. my my. Early, it has lived up to the hype? Yeah, my early 20s for sure. I, w- I mean, I wasn't like a an early bloomer, but I I definitely had You were very- an average bloomer? Yeah, I bloomed at the right I bloomed at the time you're supposed to bloom at. I, and, I then, feel the same uh, way. and then and uh, then I've had some pretty great times, but also I just like just over time I was like, you know, I I just don't like the feeling of being drunk that much. And then I, I gradually kind of shifted over to uh, the devil's lettuce, which is which is <laughs> Jazz a, much, uh, a much nicer feeling and a much better better vibe all around. I would have no idea what you're talking about. Well, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could. We could pick that as a topic and explore. <laughs> I would love to do a stoner topic. I, yeah, that I think would be that great. Would be, that would be great. You know, I can say that I don't know about you. Maybe you have different genes, but my body just reacts to alcohol like it's poison. And once I drink a certain amount, I just want to throw up. Like this, the story of me and alcohol is just a story of all the places I've thrown up. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit I'm probably the most lightest weight of my family. Yeah, I and yeah. and that's why I gravitate towards, you know, those things that ease nausea uh <laughs> rather than cause it. But um as far as how alcohol works in movies, I do find it interesting that in horror movies alcohol makes you the perfect victim. Well, yeah, it inhibits your decisions, it makes you clumsy, you become uncoordinated, and you're slow. Yeah, it's it's definitely an impairment. Uh, it's, it's a handicap, which you should not be giving any murderer you know, <laughs> who's and, out to get you. <laughs> On the flip side, in a romance film, being drunk is the perfect uh, excuse for forced proximity between the characters that you want to fall in love. Characters are more honest about their feelings when they're drunk. They're more vulnerable. It's the perfect opportunity for their partner to step in and protect them or to care for them. Uh, it, I, to me, I don't know. I, 
when I was thinking about this theme, it seems like alcohol is not only just the social smoother, but the excuse to make a vulnerable person the object of the plot. Yeah, I also think, I mean, I don't I don't know off the top of my head, but I also think that alcohol is the good way to have someone who who has a lot of pressure on them to do something alcohol Mm. is a good way to make them make a fool of themselves in that situation Uh, i think like bridesmaids Uh, right the toast when she gives the toast it's like yeah like watching watching Kristen wig mess up a toast like that if she was sober would be weird and awkward and unlikable. Yeah. But to see her do it while drunk is like, Oh yeah, well that's funny because we know by the end of the movie, they're all going to be friends. Right. You know what else I was thinking of too, is in the apartment when Baxter goes to the bar, it's like, well, Baxter is a good guy, but then he got drunk and this happened. Well, he's Baxter's still a good guy when he's drunk. Yeah, yeah, he's still <laughs> yeah. a good guy. But I mean, it's like it's like. <laughs> but I get it, you, yeah. It's like kind of what you were saying before. Like stories rely on butts, right? Not just the big hairy ones, but <laughs> plot wise, it it's it's relied on in that way. Uh, but then he got drunk is a great butt. Yeah. Yeah, drinking and butts go very well together. Yeah, they they often go hand in hand. <laughs> no <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> All right, so question. Which movie should we do first? Uh, I honestly could go either way, but I think Arthur is probably... I watched Arthur first, and I'm very glad I did. Same and yeah. same. <laughs> Uh, all right, so the best is yet to come first. The best is yet uh, to come. Uh, all right, yeah, let's get started with Arthur. So the way we usually pick is kind of like one of us will send the other one a list of movies and just kind of go like, here's what's on my mind. Anything stand out to you? And then- Correction. That's what you've done when when you've done that more than I have. I decided oh, yeah, to yeah, that's true. I decided to pull a Brett this time and I did give you a list of movies. Um yeah, so you you picked Arthur and I had never seen it, and I was like, Well, I know that he's drunk in the movie, so I could probably find a drunk horror. Uh but why why Arthur? What what about it? So I, you know, I am a rom-com fan and I've seen a lot of romantic comedies, but that doesn't mean that I've seen everything. And Arthur is one of those romantic comedies that I've often heard critics speak about as a great movie and a great rom-com. So I thought, you know, add this to the list and, and explore it uh, eventually. It's funny, I originally saw Arthur as a great pick if we did a uh, a podcast theme on rich people because you know, right now the rich I don't know, they they feel like like getting a bit stabby on those rich feels like a good thing eating them too. Uh, and I find that the rich make both interesting protagonists in romance because the billionaire boyfriend is kind of ubiquitous at this point. Uh, and then also in horror movies as the villains. Uh, I think that there's a lot of great mm-hmm. material. 
But with there being a lot, lot of great material when it comes to rich people, I'm not too cut up about using Arthur for this topic uh, because he is drunk throughout the movie and and his drunkenness is is kind of key to his charm and his vulnerability. Um, so when you propose that as the theme to pair it with a uh, habit, uh, it, it took me a while to get into it. Kind of like when you picked under the skin, I was like, Hmm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, w- once I'm, on, once I'm on board something, you know, I'm full steam ahead. So of course, like earlier, I'm thinking about how drunkenness fits in as a theme when it comes to movies. But, um, yeah, I think I think Arthur's a, a pretty well-made movie. It's it's kind of it, it's a, it's like so many of the movies that we've seen made in the in the 60s, 70s and 80s because they're very sharp when it comes to dialogue uh and you know the the comic timing between characters is really well done. Uh, it kind of reminds me of things like pillow talk in that way where things are really snappy, but then at the same time, it feels a little bit outdated and overlong. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind of worried about this movie. Um, really? Because-, because this is the one you singled out from the movies I mentioned to you. I know, but well, I also, I mean, I know that like when it comes to cinematic drunks, it's Arthur and Withnail and I, those are like two of the biggest ones. So I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. this is a classic. I should watch it, whatever. Um, but you know, right, sometimes- that's how I felt too about this movie. Like, oh, it's a classic. It, I should yeah. cross it off the list. Yeah. And so sometimes when you're watching a movie, well, I should say when I'm watching a movie like about drunk people, sometimes it's like, well, <sighs> Drunk people aren't always the most fun to be around. Uh, and so yes, I was just Arthur's worried. downright obnoxious was, at some times. Yeah, I was just worried this movie was going to be tedious and, and groan-inducing. But um, no, we'll go through it. I, I did. I had a very good time with this movie. Uh, I thought it was very charming. I did, too. I mean, well, let, let's be honest. For me, it's all about Hobson. All right. Well, we'll we'll go through my journey with Hobson later, but uh, <laughs> Oh, you went on a journey because Oh yeah. I, I I'm ride or die Hobson. No, no, no. Uh, uh I do have Are you are your team your team Bitterman? Oh yeah, Bitterman MVP. Come on. Uh we uh I, I got two questions for you. How familiar how familiar are you with Dudley Moore and how familiar are you with Liza Minnelli? I'll go first. You go I'm, first, yes. I'm zero familiar with Dudley Moore. I know him by name only, I'm pretty sure. And Liza Minnelli, I'm pretty sure I only know her from Arrested Development. So I am very That's much... hilarious. Yeah, I'm very much newbie material when it comes to everyone in this movie. Uh, yeah. So number one, I grew up with Dudley Moore because he narrated the English language version of Milo and Otis. So if you, you if oh, you yeah. watch that movie, so the the guy who narrates the puppy and kitty journey is Arthur. <laughs> That's Arthur Bob. Oh yeah, how did I not? Oh yeah. <laughs> how did you miss that, Brad? Jeez, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he has a few other rom coms under his belt. I think he's in this movie. Um, ah, ah. 
I can't remember. He, he's just, he's done a few things where he's just like the funny British guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and he's, he's kind of charming. And then Liza Minnelli is, is, um, she's Judy Garland's daughter. You know, Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz. No, I mean, I know. I know she, she sings, right? She, she yeah, does. Liza singing. Minnelli also sings and dances just like her mother. So uh, I, don't, I mean, but I don't really know any, anything about her. I don't, I couldn't, I probably couldn't name a single movie she was in. Cabaret. Um, but, no. but the whole point of the matter is just that, that Liza Minnelli's this Broadway singer, dancer, actor, triple threat, Hollywood royalty, hyphen it. Her father is Vincent Minnelli, the famous Hollywood director. Uh, yeah, I mean, all of this rings a bell, but I still have probably never seen any of her movies. Yeah, so I mean, they're they they're famous. They're both famous and talented people in their own. Yeah, right. which but is why nothing, this is a- they're nothing compared to Hobson, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know. Is there anything else you want to mention before we dive on in? Carry on. All right, here we go. The plot to this movie is pretty light. It's it's a very. Pretty standard movie. So I'm going to try to go through the plot. And if there's any comedy scenes that stick out to you, feel free to just jump right on in. Um, stumble your... I'm going to stumble my way through this this review. Okay. <laughs> um, so we start out with a nice little montage of driving through New York City with some Burt Bacharach. I love Burt Bacharach <laughs> so much. It was... I mean, I was like digging it when, when we were going the through the best is yet to come um and it's arthur arthur bach is like a spoiled alcoholic kid well i mean he's like a grown man child oh you know um, what i wrote down in my notes he's like the kid from blank check but grown up okay it's been a while since i've seen blank check so i'd have to I'd have to refresh my my viewing on that a little bit but yeah he's he's yeah he's like i have unlimited money and I'm a kid. I'm I'm immature. Um, so he's driving around. He he is constantly cracking himself up. Um, and he goes to find some ladies of the night and picks one up. And they go to a fancy hotel or a fancy hotel. They go to a fancy restaurant and they make a scene. He makes a scene, and she's just kind of like having a good time. Uh, <laughs> And I I don't know. I I'm not a huge fan of British comedy. It just I mean comedy is like taste buds. You know what I mean? It it just sometimes you just don't like stuff. And I'm just not a huge British comedy fan. I wasn't a fan of Arthur at this point, but it did remind me of do you watch the show Archer? Yes. So Archer is like if Arthur Bach and James Bond had a baby. Okay. Okay. You know, he's just a, a rich, yeah. out-of-control alcoholic who loves banging prostitutes. He's got a butler who he has a very, uh, like, sweet relationship with in a weird way. 
I I like that Hobson gives him shit too. Like he later, yeah. what is it? Arthur wants him to run his bath and. And Hobson's basically like, fuck you. I bet you want me to wash your dick, you little shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, he knows, he knows his limits with Arthur. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I will say <laughs> that, that I, I too was not totally digging Arthur when he was drunk because it's just, I don't know. I, I, when I get He's drunk. He's in pain. I know. But when I get drunk, like. I, I like I don't get that silly. You know what I mean? Like uh, it's hard. Only movie drunks do that. Yeah, only that's only a movie drunk thing. But I don't know how you feel about rape jokes. <laughs> he does make a weird rape joke. But I will say, making a rape joke in the first ten minutes of your movie for a likable drunk character is a very risky move. But the fact that this movie pulled it off was like, all right, I, I, I'm I'm cautiously now on your side. You've gained some points from me. Because it was a very bold joke, but I think I think it worked. Uh and so he takes the lady of the night home, Gloria, right? He takes Gloria home. They wake up the next morning. Hobson comes in. I was immediately ready to kill Hobson when he was like <laughs> Gloria, I await, I eagerly await your next monosyllabic retort. I was like, fuck you. She's she's making money. She's on the job. You know what I mean? She's on the clock. Come on, Hobson. Give give I, I I'm all for I'm all for Hobson giving Arthur shit, but to give her shit. You know what I mean? Like, but uh, that's what Hobson does. All Hobson does is read people like an old drag queen. I I was not into it, but uh, the the hooker walks away with her money, and Hobson has to take Arthur to meet his father. Uh, there we learn Arthur is the heir to a portion of his family's vast fortune, but he can only get that fortune if he marries the upper class lady susan johnson who is the daughter of a business acquaintance of his father so here's here's where things probably get a little light and thin on on some character details but he does not love susan but she loves him i think she just wants the money i I don't know. I felt like there probably could have been a little bit of a clearer. I know that there's a remake of this movie, but I've never seen the remake. And- oh, I heard it was terrible. And I think Russell Brand is all wrong for Arthur. I think I think that somebody like Martin Freeman should be Arthur. Uh, I was thinking, yeah, I, immediately I was thinking, oh, this guy is like a dead ringer for Martin Freeman or uh, the other way around. But yeah, I, I right. definitely thought Martin Freeman could pull off the comedic timing of this movie. Russell Brand isn't vulnerable enough to play Arthur. Yeah, I, I get you. I get you. Um, and so I, if if I were doing the remake, I probably would have like, I probably wouldn't give Susan a bit more meat on her bones as a character, but I would just give her more spice, something more of like a comedic spice. Like maybe every time we see her, she's got more plastic surgery done because she's rich and obsessed with looks or just something to, to get her character a little bit more comedic momentum, just a tiny spice. But I thought that the joke, I thought that the joke though, was that they were trying to give her pretty much the Maris treatment, like in Frasier. Yeah. I'm not a big Frasier fan. (laughs) 
Anyways, in <laughs> Frasier, where Frasier's brother is married to Maris, and you never see Maris, and all you hear is what he says about her. And I think that the character has more power the less that she's seen. And then they do show you Susan, and she's like a Stepford Wife robot. Yeah, but then, again, that's just a little bit of spice. Just a tiny bit of spice. But either way, Susan's not really the, the main drive of this movie because... No. Nope, because... Nope, nope. Arthur goes shopping. Well, oh, and where does he go? Where does he I go? Know. He goes to <laughs> Goodman. We were just talking about that. Um, it's a real place. <laughs> it is. I had no idea that it was a store. And when I asked it's where you the in rich the podcast, people go, you're like, yeah, it's a store. And I'm like, oh, well, how was I supposed to know? And then I saw it in this movie. I was like, hey, I know what Berndorf Goodman is. It's a store. How does you? How does no one know that? It's a uh, store you rob. Right. And so Arthur Arthur agrees to, t- to marry Susan. Uh, so now he has to propose to her. So he goes to the store because he's going to buy clothes. And he's like, I'll take a million of these. And then Hobson has to be like, uh, no, 24 is more than enough. Uh, so he's kind of out of touch with with uh, money. Very, again, very arrested development in that sense of like mm-hmm. the mom, you know, like uh, here's $10, go buy a banana or whatever. Uh, and so there he sees Liza Minnelli, who plays uh, Linda. Morella. Linda Morella. She's stealing a tie. And this is where the movie won me over because one I again as someone who knows pretty much nothing about Liza Minnelli immediately I was like man she's got it uh it was kind of like Doris Day I'd never seen Doris Day before uh Pillow Talk but immediately star power yeah immediately I was like oh fuck yeah Doris Day she's got it uh but also Arthur makes a joke because Linda's stealing a tie and Arthur makes a joke about how a woman stealing a tie is a perfect crime because women don't wear ties, but well, some women wear ties. So it's, it's not a perfect crime, a crime, but it's a good crime. And I thought that was a great joke. I, I thought that was a great joke. And then Hobson says, if she murdered the ties, it would be a perfect crime. <laughs> and so <laughs> I it's it's so then she leaves she's followed by the security guard but Arthur like develops this this like weird liking to her kind of it's in like a very Looney Tunes yeah it, and also it kind of reminded me of like Hitchcock and the birds where it's just like oh these two people who have nothing better to do are just like drawn to each other uh and she's um oh you know from the moment you see her like oh look at Liza Minnelli look how cute she is I would is, follow her she is extremely cute and she's spunky and she's great so the the security guard goes to stop her she flips the tables on him arthur steps in and says hey i got this and what i love about linda which immediately was like not only do i like liza minnelli for her star power and x factor but what i love about linda is how she immediately jumps on the con of arthur helping her out which is always a character trait that i will forever love is when a character can immediately pick up on that sort of like, oh, you're helping me out? Like, oh, yeah, we got to go to that thing. Oh, yeah, that thing, you know. Uh, and I so, love that they do that together. It's so great. And so then, 
he walks her out. He gives her the ca- the cab ride home. Also, he kisses her, which was very uh, the immediately. I wrote down the audacity. I know, but it was also kind of like uh, again. Now that I'm building up my rom com references and stuff, it's like uh, Notting Hill, where it was like the first kiss was sort of sudden and gotcha and like. Ooh, it shouldn't be like that. But also, like, because of the way the movie is, you're like, ooh, it's sexy because it's like that. Um, right. And it's it's it it turned out to be, you know, Dudley Moore is is pretty skilled in in being able to make that moment feel very cute and organic and harmless to where she can look at him afterwards and say, You're kind of a weird guy, but you're cute. Right. And it's not just that he's cute, it's that he like he he didn't just jump in and say like, excuse me, sir, how much did that tie cost? Well, here, I'll cover it. Like, no, he jumped in and covered her in a way that was like spontaneous and cool. And so, and she like gives it back to him where she's like, hey, easy there. We don't want people thinking that we're, you know, weirdos or whatever. So uh, <laughs> a great meet cue, just a fantastic scene. I was immediately on board for the entire movie to just be Linda and Arthur hanging out. I know um, there needed to be way more Linda Arthur. Scenes. Way more. And so uh, Arthur gives Linda the use of his valet, uh, Bitterman. And again, if we're talking Hobson versus Bitterman, Linda goes to her house and is like, hey, can you wait until someone from my building comes by so they can see me in the car? And he immediately is like, yeah, I got you. And then when she goes to get out, he's like, I'll get the door. You deserve the full treatment. I was like, man, Bitterman MVP. Come on, man. That was great. And so, um, yeah, we... uh, (laughs) we kind of go on, on a, a date, right? I don't know how, how are we, we first, uh, Arthur has to meet Martha who is his grandmother and he shares his feelings for Linda, but is warned again that if he does not marry Susan, he will lose the inheritance. So, uh, <laughs> and he can't make it as a poor drunk. No, he's, he cannot. Absolutely he's not. He's too fragile. He has no job. Like, his only job is kind of racing cars for fun. That's uh, not even a job. He just does that <laughs> whenever he feels like it. Like, hor- like riding horses. Right. And so, um, so he goes on a date with Linda. And it is a very charming date. And they go to, like, they go to hang out. And they go to play at this carnival type thing. And Arthur would love pinballs. Oh, totally. Um, and so it's it's very fun. And it's also kind of sad because we do have like he does have to say goodbye and know that he can't continue to see her. And he didn't plan on this happening, but it just it spontaneously happened. But. What I really love is the next day Arthur does call her up and is like, hey, I've got to get engaged. And she is immediately like, all right, I get it. Peace. See ya. And she she bows out. She's like, I want nothing more to do with this. Right. I don't need this drama. Um. And I thought that was great because it's not like they built the whole movie around that concept, which is a very common theme or plot in, in movies like this, where he tries to like run both things at the same time. 
so I thought that was a very cool move. But um, Arthur then has to go propose to Susan. He promises he will not get drunk anymore. But on the way to Susan's, he gets plastered, meets Susan's dad, who does not have a sense of humor. He's scary. Very scary. And uh, Arthur takes Susan out. He proposes. She says yes. But then Arthur basically, Arthur's basically stringing her along the best he can without, like, he, he's really going out of, or he's, uh, Arthur is is making it well known that he does not want to do this. <laughs> and, uh. He's a prisoner. He is. And so he um he goes to Linda's while he is super drunk, and I love inter- Robert Downey Jr. He goes to a stranger's apartment. For oh him. yeah, that was great when he goes to the stranger's apartment and they get into this shouting match, and he gets like you never really see Arthur get angry, but the one time he gets angry is when this woman is yelling at him at three in the morning, and uh, it was great, but um. He goes to Linda's. Linda is embarrassed for him. She turns down the money that he wants to give her because he's like, here, take all this money. Because he's just used to throwing money around to people. And uh, it's it's sad. It's kind of sad because, like, Linda really deserves better. And you really want Arthur to be happy because he is, as 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 obnoxious as he is, he really is a likable guy. Dudley Moore really pulls they it off. They deserve to be together because they're so, they're banter, they're cons. Oh, uh, so yeah. many great adventures for Arthur and Linda. Um. So then we, uh, this is the part where Arthur has an engagement party. and Right, and he garfield some-, some drinks by taking the entire tray. <laughs> and then uh, Hobson, this is where Hobson starts to, I mean, the whole movie, he's kind of this snide, snarky, smug. He loves Arthur. Well, Arthur goes, or Hobson goes out of his way to find Linda and says like, hey, here's, here's a nice dress. Here's where the address is going to be. Like, here's an invite. However, it's not an official invite. He's basically telling Linda, go crash the party because Arthur loves you and you guys deserve each other because you guys do deserve to be happy. He deserves to be happy all the time. It's also a really cute top. Yeah. um, I wasn't a huge fan of a lot of the fashion in this movie, but But I did like that. The pink top she wears is very cute and it looked really great on Liza Minnelli. Yeah. And so she shows up. I like the little interaction with what is his name, Martin or something. Some some guy the horses. No, some guy okay. who's basically just like, "Ooh, uh, Linda, pretty me, you know, me want Linda, <laughs> me like sex." And she's like, "Oh, oh, Martin, oh, remember this?" And he's like, uh, "She's like, I can't make it on Wednesday." And he's like, "Wednesday? What are you talking about?" And so it's a really great way to show, like, you know, not everyone is able to just you know, pick up what she's putting down. Not everyone's on and her way. And then Dudley Moore uses him as a piece of furniture as he banters <laughs> with Linda. That was very cute too. Um, yeah. And so it's just nice to see them together. And then uh, they sneak off into the horse stables and they have a very touching moment and they, they, they start to connect a little bit more. And again, it's, it's kind of sad because it's like, well, they can't be together, but 
clearly they are supposed to be together. I love how Arthur makes her laugh, too, and how she says that he makes her laugh even when she feels really sad. Uh, That was so cute. And the horse interrupting the scene. I I love when horses interrupt scenes (laughs) like the Lady Eve. Yeah, it, it felt it felt very genuine when she laughed at the horse because it, it it was very silly and the horse felt like it was like, hey, I'm on camera. <laughs> um, and then the wife steps in and is like, oh, my God, what's going on here? And uh, uh, Linda makes up a sob story about how her husband is is a gambler at a gambling addict and their kid is a, it needs medical bills. It's another con. I love it. It's another con. And, uh, so she, she goes away. Uh, Arthur has to now get married. However, before he can get married, Hobson goes to the hospital because he is very sick. So now we, we spend time with Hobson in the hospital and Arthur, spends the entire time that Hobson is in the hospital with him. He bet he stays in the same room with him. He feeds him. He takes care of him. He gets him a giant cowboy hat. And, you know, it's, it's a very, like, this is where Hobson started to come around to me. Right. Also, Arthur's version of taking care of someone is very cute because he's so rich that he thinks taking care of you means redecorating the hotel room and covering you with toys. Right. And so it's like, yeah, I'm just going to make you comfortable. I'm going to I'm going to make this like home, which is just all the stuff you like which is all the stuff I like. Like home is all the stuff I like. So I'm just going to surround you with all these childish toys. That's going to remind you of home. Uh, And you're a Shakespeare lady, right? You like Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, He's reading him Hamlet. Yeah. So I I like that joke about like, Oh, last time we left off, Hamlet was in some big trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very good way to kind of like last time on Hamlet. Hamlet was getting into some antics. Um, yeah, I I also like that when he put the silly hat on Hobson, that Hobson says, "If I begin to yeah. die, please take this off my head." <laughs> Those they have a very good relationship. Uh, so then, however, probably one of the best—I mean, this is like hands down one of the best cuts in a movie I've ever seen. It was such an impactful moment. Hobson is sick. And then we cut to Hobson's room and it's kind of empty and bare and Arthur's sitting at a, at a table that's got a chess set on it and the chair opposite him is empty and he makes a single chess move and then gets up and walks away. And that's all you need to know to know that Hobson has died. And it's such a power, like just to linger on that moment, to let Arthur have a moment to breathe, to think about, even though Hobson is dead and will not return the chess move, he takes a moment to think about it and to make the move and then leave it there as a, as a memorial to his friend who was into more high class stuff like chess. But I thought that was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful edit. I was blown away by that. You know, I, I it didn't register to me the way that it did to you, but the way you describe it to me now, it was a really beautiful way to send off this character, tasteful, 
mature. Um, I will admit I cried when Hobson died. I did not cry, but I I was overwhelmed with that that power of film, <laughs> which I was not expecting from this movie. Even though I was digging it so far, right. I, w- I was not expecting that kind of like, whoa, like this really blew me out of the water. Um, I, I loved it. But this sends Arthur into a tailspin. Again, he's, he's, pro- he's constantly he's promising to sober up. So he he's kind of sobered up because of his stay at the hospital, but now he is uh, he's gone to a bar. He's he's connecting with one of the the local barflies, and he is just moments away from his wedding, hours away from his wedding, and he decides he does not want to get married to Susan. So he runs off to Linda, who is working at a restaurant, and. Uh, they have a very cute scene where they basically say, Hey, I don't, I don't care if I'm poor. I want to be with you. And she says, yeah, let's do it. And she's immediately on board. This is a great scene where in, in, in almost any other rom-com, they would make Liza Minnelli turn him down out of spite. They Just would so do they the, could get another the, scene. The fucking out of them. Hugh Grant, Notting Hill. Oh, well, you. You're still not over that, that huh? Oh, oh, I, I, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Here, Liza Minnelli is like, yes, I'm on board. Let's end this movie with a blast. So they go to crash yeah, the she wedding. She loves him for him, not his yeah. money. Uh, so they go to the wedding. Uh, Arthur crashes it. He makes a fool of himself. He's drunk. He tells Susan that there's another woman. The father is ready to kill Arthur. First of all, he, he's he so smacks scary. him around, punches him, knocks him down, knocks him out. Liza Minnelli steps in. Um, another fantastic joke is when Susan says, like, Hey, what about your husband? And Liza's like, who? Oh, you poor thing. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, oh, that's right. You're still stuck in this fantasy world where I'm his childhood friend. And she's like, no, I'm his his soulmate. You are you are getting kicked out to the curb. That was so, her delivery of that line, like, oh, you poor thing, where she has like mercy on her. So great. <laughs> My favorite line from that scene is when uh, Mr. Johnson takes the ch- takes the knife out of the cheese, and Dudley Moore asks, "Does he want some cheese?" <laughs> it's uh, his his uh, his retorts are just again. There's something about the British the British way he delivers them that just he's like, quippy. He is very quippy, and it's 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 very mile a minute scattergun shotgun approach to the jokes, but. By the end of the movie, a lot more of the jokes were landing uh, for me. Yes, yes. No, this this was it was it was hard to get into the groove of the movie. Like you know, when you step into the bath and the water's too hot, right? Um, but once I was my dial was adjusted, I found it very clever. Yes, and so right before uh, the mean man can stab Arthur, <laughs> Martha steps in, gives him a little slap snaps him out of it and uh and then arthur goes up and announces the wedding's off and so now you know uh fade to moments hours later whatever arthur and linda are sitting at the front of the cathedral or back of the cathedral i don't know and um and they're like 
kind of like, eh, now we're poor. What are we going to do? Arthur's like, oh, I know. I'll get a job. I'll ride the subway. I won't spit on the subway because it's a $500 fine. And she's like, yeah, that's what most people do. <laughs> um, and then, of course, Martha is like, hey, no, no Bach is ever going to be a, a poor person poor man so i'll give you the money and then they are like no we don't want your money so she's like no you'll take our money my money and so then there's this whole like this this little gimmick of as they go out to their separate chauffeurs the the martha's like this is your last chance to take the money and he's like no 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 and we get the cute little joke of right before she drives away arthur goes up talks to her then comes back and is like oh she invited us out to lunch but i said no and it's like Oh, so he didn't take the money. And then he's like, but I took the money. I'm not crazy. And then uh, Bitterman, who didn't he just fire Bitter, Bitterman? Well, he, he couldn't afford Bitterman when he right. was poor. So he fires Bitterman moments earlier. And now that he's got his money back, he rehires Bitterman double the salary, which is great. And then we get a little callback to driving through the park, which is one of Arthur's favorite things. It is, and it's got a lot of like, this movie's got a lot of cool little things like uh, Jerry Seinfeld's dad is Liza Minnelli's dad. And uh, Lawrence Tierney is in it, uh, right? The guy from, the guy from uh, Reservoir Dogs. He's the guy at the the diner who who keeps talking about the role and they're like, eat your Uh. role. (laughs) Uh, Also in the waiting room to uh, Arthur's dad's office is the principal from the breakfast club. Oh yeah. Paul Gleason. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That guy's always playing dicks. Yeah. And and he just, he was there solely to say, ah, Arthur. Yeah. And then Hobson does kind of give him a little bit back. Like, yeah, Arthur's a dick, but you're no better. And um, yeah, so again, overall, very cute movie. Very glad I watched it. Um, yeah, was I was not expecting well to like made. it as much as I did. Yeah, and yeah, the filmmaking Same. was great. Same. I I didn't think I you know I I walk into a lot of movies feeling cynical. Um, I think that's because I do want to experience the magic of a movie, but I've been disappointed enough times to be cynical about most movies I see. So when something does surprise me or charms me, I feel like it charms me even more. Yes. Uh, I, I feel the same way where, yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll go into this movie with a little bit of a grudge or chip on my shoulder. Like, yeah, prove to me you're a classic. <laughs> and then, yeah, I feel yeah. the same way. I, it's not fair to those movies, but I can't help myself. <laughs> um, you mentioned it earlier, but I, I want to drive this point home. I watched a movie recently cause my dad had mentioned it and it's a movie called Homefront which is about Jason Statham, who is like Jason Statham, right? He's like a super soldier. And he's is got it a little. Statham or Statham? I use them. It's like neither, neither. I use them pretty interchangeably. Um, and so he's got a daughter. And then James Franco plays this drug guy. And they end up getting into a fight. And chaos ensues. And they have to. Jason Statham has to beat up a bunch of guys. But in the opening credits, it's a fine movie. My dad was like, watch it. It's fine. And then I watched it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It was fine. But it's Jason Statham. So in the opening credits to the movie, I saw, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Frank 
Grillo, Frank Grillo. I think it's Grillo. I don't know. But Frank Grillo is in the movie. And I was like, oh, shit, Frank Grillo is in this movie. Awesome. And so he doesn't appear until about halfway into the movie. But then I texted my dad. I was like, yo, this is exactly what this movie needed is some Frank Grillo. Because I was like starting to lose my momentum and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And that's exactly how I felt about Arthur, which what you said, I mean, it's only an hour and a half long, but like you said, it felt long because every time we went three scenes without Liza Minnelli, I was like checking mm. my watch. Like, when are we getting back to Liza? Well, they, yeah, as soon as she's introduced, things kick off. And then I also think a lot of movies and stories in general benefit from triads. There should never just be, I mean, not never, but it's hard to sustain interest if you only have two points or two characters. Once you add a third and there's a triangle, even if it's not a love triangle, it becomes so much more interesting. So then to have Arthur and Hobson observing Linda, and then later to have Linda reacting to Arthur, reacting to Hobson. And, you know, a lot of the great moments rely on those three characters interacting with each other, because Hobson's the one who has to go to Linda to make her go back to Arthur. So anytime those three characters, you know, move as a as a unit, it's a much more interesting, sustaining plot. Yeah, I agree. I also thought that this movie was extremely well directed and well shot. The, mm-hmm. the the scene that sticks out to me the most is when they go on their date and they're eating dinner. Uh, Eliza, uh, Linda and Arthur, and they go to that cathedral. And so they have a giant flower pot taking up half of the screen in the foreground that is framed really interestingly and then they have this beautiful cathedral in the background but what that does is by putting this giant flower pot in the foreground first of all if you want to make anything cinematic the easiest cheapest bestest way to do it is to have foreground middle ground background so by doing that it's just like well this is inherently cinematic but also it smushes arthur and Linda into a very tight space together. Forced proximity. Yeah. Which makes those characters close and like, they already feel close and connected and the director doesn't cut away at all or the editor. I don't know how they shot it, but I feel like that was just shot that way because then the band comes over and there's a funny moment where like the band overwhelms them. so relatable, honestly. And then whenever bands do that, they always particularly like if it's a a man and a woman, they like to pressure the man into paying for their presence there. And and it's almost like it's almost like like they won't go away until you demonstrate that you care for your female dining partner by paying for the musicians it's the same thing with people who sell roses i was gonna say it's like uh mobsters it's like you're paying them to go away but yeah they're date yeah. mobsters yeah so but i just like the just the way that it's framed where where, where it's not first of all it's not cut up because i hate when they cut the chemistry and the timing mm-hmm. comedy is all about the timing And so sometimes you can use editing to create good timing and rhythm, but sometimes you just want to see two characters who are getting along interact with each other. 
But again, by by drawing your eye to those two characters right next to each other, it just this is a very very well shot movie. But also, I thought the moon monologue was oh that was so great. cute. It was great. I I loved it. This movie was very good. But also, yeah, I mean, it was you know it was a little dated. It it, it you know it, it 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 did feel a little long. It but um. It's a masterclass when it comes to chemistry and filming chemistry. I agree. If you, you know how we talked about how, so um, what is it? Legally Blonde is a great masterclass. If you are, okay, I want to see a movie that does pacing perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then if I wanted to answer the question, okay, show me a rom-com that visualizes chemistry perfectly then you could show them something like arthur yeah i agree um so that's i mean that's kind of my thoughts on arthur i don't know if you is have it any time for the question yeah who would you who would you kill this is your movie so i want to hear who you're gonna kill first susan's dad he's yeah. so scary i Susan's dad's gonna kill someone. He doesn't want any cheese. I he was... said he killed someone. He literally admits to Arthur, oh, and by the way, I killed someone. <laughs> he does say that, yeah. When I was 11, I stabbed a man to death. <laughs> um, yeah, he's got to go. What about yeah. you? Uh, I was holding such a grudge over my head that despite Hobson's beautiful hospital bonding, oh, no. <laughs> I was, I was no. ready to give him the ax until that chest cut. And then I was like, I can't do it, man. This is, this is beautiful. Uh, One so opening I, move is all it takes to turn you. And so then I was like, all right. You know, sometimes I like to throw, I, I like to try to spice it up, but I was like, all right, the obvious choice here is Susan's dad, but yeah, that fucker's got to go. He's got to go. <laughs> but you still want Hobson to die. You you need Hobson to die in order to get the chess move. I mean, I do need him to die, but I don't want him. I don't take pleasure in it the same way I would take pleasure in uh in in Susan's dad getting the 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 cheese cutting knife to the back. <laughs> So how was making the remix for this one for you? This one was pretty hard. I had to kind of, both of these movies, I really had to just kind of push aside and go, you know, I really have to stop focusing on trying to make a coherent plot and character arc. Oh, I gave up on that long ago. <laughs> I, 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 cause sometimes I really like it and I'm like, Oh, I get into these characters and stuff. That's cute. But, um, uh, once once I got going, I kind I, I thought the other one was easier. I thought it was much easier to turn habit into a rom com. How about you? You know, I because I'm really lazy, did not give myself any time when it came to writing these. So I wrote them very quickly. But I think something's happening, Brett, where you are influencing me because not only did I pull a Brett by just giving you a list of movies and saying, oh, pick (laughs) one that you think might be interesting. um, I also wrote my Arthur horror remix 
uh, around fight scenes. Yeah. So pretty much the movie is a series of fight scenes that lead to each other. That is interesting. That is very interesting because I went more of the psychological Hitchcockian thriller on this one. (gasps) What's happening to us? What? So I think I should go first because we'll save yours for last because this should be exciting. Um, I called my, I came up with the name after I wrote my movie and it has nothing to do with my movie. I just thought it was a cool name. Interesting. The name is Hearts of Glass. Okay. And I really like the name. So we're going to have to. sounds like a fantasy novel. Yeah. So we're going to have to work in some kind of like crystal heart uh, motif in there somehow. So just keep that in mind. But um, I'm going to go with Arthur. I I cast my movies this time, which is a a very easy way to not have to flesh out a movie is just to go picture this guy. (laughs) I do have a cast in mind for mine too. Yeah. So for Arthur, I cast Tom Hiddleston and for Susan, for Susan, I cast Jessica Chastain. So I did a little bit of a crimson. Great Susan. Yeah. Um, And so a little bit of a, a, a crimson peak there where this movie starts out very much about bloodlines and blue bloods and, and stuff like that. And I've been watching a few of the um, ancient history type videos again. Sometimes I, I let my, my subscriptions pile up so I can binge. And so, <laughs> so YouTube has been recommending a lot of crazy stuff to me. And I don't know, I don't know a lot about this RH negative versus RH positive stuff, but it's got some ties to like reptilian people and, and, and families oh, no, and, and all of the money. And I don't know if you know this, Shira, but all of the money in the world is basically controlled by like one family in Switzerland. But that's besides the point. Either way, my movie is going to kind of go down that route where we have rich families who are constantly scheming to keep money in the family and, and whatnot. You get it. Mm-hmm, so of course, got to keep it to the one percent, right? And so Arthur is married to Susan, and their marriage is very much a, a heartless marriage. Where like they both know what it is, but their families have now had a split because who knows, whatever. Because um, some new tax law now, like only one of the families can keep all the money or whatever. So Arthur is tasked by his family of getting rid of Susan. So that they can keep their financial lineage intact. However, before Arthur can kill Susan, she disappears. <gasps> oh, that's such a noir thriller thing for oh, a wife to do. So noir. So then she disappears, but then Arthur finds weird traces of things like she would never leave this behind or like, why is there gone girl? (laughs) Why is there blood underneath the sink drain? You know, like just weird things like that. So then the cops come because one of her friends is like, she didn't show up to book club. And so, (laughs) or whatever, whatever you rich people, fancy people do. And so, (laughs) so, uh so the cops are like kind of interrogating him but they also know that they can't do too much because they don't want to 
mess with the family, right? Because that's where a lot of money comes from. So Arthur now is suspicious of the house staff and he thinks maybe he's next or something. So he has to kind of interrogate his way around the house staff, but the house staff is like, they're full of their own secrets, but some of them kind of catch on to the fact that she's gone and maybe he did it. And so some of them are maybe trying to bluff their way into a, uh, what do you call it when you give someone money to shut up hush money? They're trying to like bluff their way into some hush money, get some buyouts. Maybe they got their own shady stuff going on. So like everyone is now starting to, it's like very knives out. Uh, everyone is, is suspicious of each other. Very Agatha Christie. And, uh, so then Arthur meets up with his new girlfriend. He, he meets a new girl and the new girl is Bryce Dallas Howard. Who looks, who looks a lot very much like, like Jessica, Jessica Chastain. Chastain. So we're going to do a little Hitchcockian vertigo stuff thing going on here. And so then she starts finding trinkets from hers and things like it, it very much reminds me of uh, what lies beneath. Did you ever see that one? No. Okay. Well, it's his, his wife is dead. And then I, I can't remember the, the movie that well, but it's, it's pretty Something good. Lies beneath. Yeah. And uh, so, like, weird things start happening. And, like, maybe that thing that she would have never left without is, like, the girlfriend finds it inside her purse. Or, like, maybe she wakes up and she's got, like, a wardrobe that's laid out for her that says, like, you know, I think this would look good on you in Arthur's handwriting. But then when Arthur sees it, he's like, I would never have left that out. That was my wife's. And she's like, but you left this note. And he's like, oh, right, I did. But he's like, no, I didn't. What the fuck is going on? And so then this is like a very, did you ever see Handmaiden? Park Chan-wook? Uh, no, but I, I want to watch it. Yeah, you've got to. It's a long movie, but it is well worth the runtime. That's one of those movies that earns it. So we're going to like one hour twist into this we are pulling you called it a straight up gone girl we're switching (gasps) perspectives and now she is living inside the house and she has staged her own disappearance wait so she's been living in the walls or something she's been living in the walls and so i i wrote down (laughs) that's very gothic i wrote down very scooby-doo because you know scooby-doo they've always got the paintings with the eyes but it's probably more like i mean this is if you haven't seen it then maybe it's kind of spoileries, but Parasite. Uh, so there, there's very, there's very much like she is is in here, and then you kind of get to see it from her perspective, where she gets to like do the planning and the manipulating. And then what happens is Arthur starts to Arthur is not a drunk at the beginning of the movie, but he starts to descend into madness. He starts to get rid. He starts like getting rid of all of his stuff. His house was very luxurious before, but now it's becoming very bare and empty oh, no, because he's Arthur. like, he, he, he's, he's going nuts. So he's got to think like, I got to get rid of all this stuff because I don't know what's going on. And like stuff is moving around and stuff that wasn't here is reappearing here. So then they have a party because I don't know, maybe the girlfriend throws a party for maybe she's like an activist or something, but at the party, they go into some big room. You know how like when rich people throw parties, it's like a curated event or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, they go into a room 
And then it's like Hannibal Lecter, you know, the show Hannibal, how like anytime they showed dead people in that show, it was like a set piece. It was very ornate. Right, right. And it's people's like pull guts a, pull were. a string and. The, yeah, and it was like it a marionette. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh, Hannibal. So, like, oh, uh, the bodies look like an iris. Yeah. And so it's very much like that. And then all the party people are like, whoa. And Tom Hiddleston at this point is like, you know, Tom Hiddleston can play that that drunk who's like very depressed and just like he's like losing his mind never saw it i heard mixed things about that one um but then the cops show up and then the wife air quotes escapes from her dungeon and so she's got like bruises and chains and shackles and she <gasps> She bumps blaming Arthur? Yeah, so she bumps into Arthur, and then, like, she slips, you know, she does the slip, she puts a gun in his coat pocket or something, and so then she runs up to the cops, and she's like, he's held me for the past year, or however long it's been, and then Arthur is like, I don't know, he fiddles around in his pocket, sees the gun, pulls out the gun, and is like, what's this? And she's like, oh my god, a gun! So she takes one of the cop's guns and shoots him, and then, Susan. she gets all the money, and so then at the funeral, when she's there, quote unquote, mourning her husband, even though she's like, you know, like he, he kept me prisoner or whatever. She goes up to his mom and this is like, this is, this is where it falls apart, but she's like checkmate. So somehow we've got to change checkmate into a heart pun or a glass pun so that we can work it in with the hearts of glass <laughs> name of the movie. But I wrote checkmate because I like the chess scene in the movie. But, um, yeah, so Hearts of Glass. I would love if for the teaser for your movie, there's a really dark, slow, moody version of Heart of Glass by, uh, I think it's Blondie. Okay, I don't know it off the top of my head, but if I heard, like... But but you know how they do that with movies now, where they'll take an old song and they'll do a moody version of it? Yeah. Um, Yeah, probably, probably like eight bars into the song, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I know that song. Right. But yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, the I social like network, it. the social network started that trend, I think, right? With the, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I tried my hand at the uh, at the Hitchcockian kind of psychological stuff. So I um, like the results. It, I like your female villain. Yeah, that, but it's basically a Gone Girl ripoff, which is fine, fine by me. Um, you know what else I like? We both turned Susan into a villain. We we both gave Susan yeah. powers. Right. Because this movie, Arthur the Rom-Com, has a great Arthur-Linda connection. So when it comes to horror, you gotta, you gotta pick that weaker point of the triangle. The love, quote-unquote, love triangle. Right. But I am extremely excited to go to these fight scenes. I want oh to go gosh. to there. There <laughs> I love 30 Rock. Yeah, there there there's a nice number of uh of fight scenes here. Uh I'm trying to think do I do I have the number? I think that there are 5. I I did 5 fight scenes. I don't That's the so way to go. As you as a filmmaker, is there a magic number for fight scenes? Like, is there a certain thing where where some filmmakers, action filmmakers, are like, you never go over this number? 
No, um, I would. It depends on the genre. Some some of the martial arts chop sake stuff I see, it's like there's only three fight scenes, and I'm like, dude, you guys, <laughs> you can't do just three. Come three, on, three's too few, right? Right. Um, I think Five Deadly Venoms is probably one of the most famous chop sake movies, and it is a very cool movie for its genre but there's not there's not a lot of fight scenes but if you want a lot watch the avenging eagle on amazon prime because that movie is wall to wall fight scenes but good to know well this, this I, I don't think a there's good a, amount yeah i don't think there's a, a, a specific formula so i'm gonna say that in this movie hobson is played by jude law bitterman uh, is jamie fox and Arthur is Martin Freeman. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. So the name of my movie is called Hobson's Choice. All right. <laughs> All right. Hobson and Bitterman are elite assassins with one job, protect mega wealthy Arthur mm-hmm. Bach. For years, they've protected Arthur from hundreds of killers, all without his knowledge. Cue fight scene number one, where we introduce Hobson and Bitterman and their skills as they battle a killer pretending to be a prostitute while Arthur, none the wiser, takes a bath. So you can intercut Arthur in the bath playing with his toys while outside of the bathroom, you've got Hobson and Bitterman fighting the uh, killer disguised as a prostitute. Uh, and of course, they they prevail. Uh, now Hobson and Bitterman love Ooh, Arthur. Sorry oh. to interrupt, but very Archer moment is, you know, uh, no, when they're dead, they're just called hookers. Cyril. <laughs> Cyril. <laughs> yeah. When, when Bitterman and, and Hobson finally kill her and, and they get, like, cause you know, in addition to Hobson and Bitterman loving Arthur, they also have this relationship with each other because remember how sad Bitterman is when Hobson's yeah. going, you know, it's, they as a trio, they have a really special relationship. So you got to imagine Hob- and I like the idea of this, you know, you know, Hobson and Bitterman assassins, very John Wick like. Yeah. Um, so they love Arthur, but they also feel sorry for him and they want him to be free. But they also know that as long as Arthur is wealthy, they have a job. So they have those competing interests when it comes to Arthur. Uh, now what they, what the others don't know is that Hobson is dying from a terminal disease. And with only so much time left on this earth, Hobson makes his choice. He wants Arthur to be happy and he's going to help him find his true love. Even as Arthur is totally oblivious to the fact that Hobson (laughs) and Bitterman have been protecting him all these years. Like, I also like the idea of Arthur being such an ignorant drunk that he's oblivious to all these attempts on his life. Like, you know, like him, like walking into a room, a dark going into a wall. And he's just, you know, he's none the wiser to himself as, as a target. So now... Fight scene number two is Hobson and Bitterman fighting over Hobson's choice because, you know, Hobson and Bitterman have agreed that they want Arthur to marry Susan. And Bitterman's upset that Hobson 
doesn't want this anymore. So now we get to see what Hobson and Bitterman are like when they fight each other. But, you know, it's a friendly spar off and they're so evenly matched. Um, but it ends in a draw. And Hobson also reveals at the end of the fight that he's got the condition. So Bitterman agrees to go along with Hobson's plan. But who's the right lady for Arthur? So then Arthur immediately falls in love with Linda while she's shoplifting from Bergdorf. Hobson and Bitterman look into Linda's background. Surprise, surprise. Linda is an assassin. So this leads us to fight scene number three. Hobson and Bitterman fight Linda inside an abandoned building in her neighborhood. So we can get a lot of like, you know, throwing people through walls and, you know, boards and and sawdust and you know all the good good props that you get in an abandoned building fight scene um meanwhile arthur is failing to break off his engagement with susan uh and then at the end of the fight against linda she admits that she's actually fallen for arthur and reveals that it's susan's family the johnson family that employed her so now the trio because You know how in some action movies, you have to fight someone before they can become your ally? They do that in video games, too. So it's like before Linda can join the team, they have to fight her. Um, It's like like, uh, Seraph in Matrix Reloaded says, you do not truly know someone until you fight them. mm -hmm, Exactly like Mm -hmm. that. But now they, they're in agreement. They are going to fight Susan's family and set Arthur free. Uh, Arthur tells Linda that he has to go through with the wedding. He offers to make her, her mis- his mistress, but of course she turns him down. Um, but also at the same time, Linda is like, this isn't over because she and Hobson and Bitterman have this plan. So we get to Arthur's engagement party. Linda has infiltrated with Hobson and Bitterman's help. And then they lure Susan to the rooftop. And they think that they are going to be able to just convince Susan to drop the uh, engagement. But what they don't know is Susan is a 10th Dawn sword master. Oh, And she is not going to give up Arthur that easily. So that leads to fight scene number four, which is the three of them against Susan. The trouble is, though, they brought fists to a sword fight. Amateurs. Amateurs. So they they don't have what it takes to beat Susan. They're fighting on the roof? Yeah, they're fighting on the roof. On multiple rooftops? Jumping I mean, around rooftop to rooftop? We could jump rooftop to rooftop. But I just, you know, I felt like we we did the abandoned building. Now right. we got to do the rooftop. Um, and, you know, before we were inside the building for the previous two fights, you know, you got yeah. to vary up your fight locations. I, I then, 100% agree. Like any good fight movie, you have to have that enemy that you can't beat them the first time. You right. have to retreat and come up with a better plan. Susan is just too good for them. So they retreat. Uh, and uh, let's see. Oh, we'll, we'll also say that Susan wounds Hobson. So now Bitterman and Linda have to work against the clock to both save Arthur 
and do it quickly enough so that Arthur can be reunited with Hobson before Hobson dies from his wounds. So they've, they, they can only do this in a certain amount of time. So we get to wedding day. Bitterman and Linda suit up with guns this time. Uh, Susan's family prepares for the wedding while author Arthur's hold, held hostage. And we get the final battle, which is Bitterman and Linda against Susan and her father. Bitterman takes dad in a gunfight while Susan and Linda fight with swords and knives. Uh, and then Arthur, he can't really do anything. Um, <laughs> so it seems like all is lost until out of nowhere, two headshots take out Susan and Susan's father. They all look up and they see that it's Hobson in his hospital gown, holding a sniper rifle. And maybe everybody yells Hobson at the same time, because it's, you know, one of those moments. Uh, and they untie Arthur, but then Hobson stumbles because, you know, it took a lot out of him. Uh, he's obviously dying. Arthur starts to sob and say that it's all his fault. But that's when Hobson says to Arthur, no, Arthur, it was always my choice to love you. Oh, And so we get a beautiful scene between them. And then maybe we can borrow from the original movie with an epilogue where we see Arthur next to the empty bed and he moves the chess piece. And then when he leaves the room, he gets into the car and Bitterman drives him and Linda through the park or something. But, you know, and then, oh, and to top it off, we can also use Burt Bacharach and have um, Jamie Foxx do a cover yeah. of Walk On By, another Burt Bacharach song that's a little bit more moody, and have that be uh, Hobson's send-off song. I'm all for it. I love it. Hobson's choice. His choice was to be a badass. Yeah. Who wouldn't choose that? Um, yeah, I like it. This is, like you said, this is a very John Wick kind of movie where the, the devil's in the details. Um, and just like having the character designs and all the cool hidden weapons and, you know. Halle Berry uh, should be Susan. Oh, yeah. Oof. Halle Berry is badass. <laughs> um, yeah, so. Good stuff. Good stuff. I I had fun with it, but when I was writing it, I definitely <laughs> thought, man, this is such a Brett movie. Yeah, it it sounds like <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like the moment I see that flipping through Netflix, I'd be like, oh, add this to the watch list. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Let's wrap up and tell the kitties where they can find us. We are on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can also email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Now then, let's get into Love Bites. What would you like to recommend to the kids this week, Brett? Well, I mentioned a little beer called Labatt Blue. Labatt Blue is a Canadian beer. And when I say Canada, you probably think beer. You also probably think of a little thing called hockey. So, Sonia and I watch hockey together all the time. And also, we have really been looking for a 
couch co-op game that she can play and keep an attention span to. Um, and so one of the things that we decided was, well, we like hockey. We should play hockey together. So we booted up the old NHL 21, and uh, it was excruciating. It was a painful experience just to get through the training simulator. Uh, not just because she couldn't do it, because it's it's it are the the training mode. Uh, not just because she couldn't do it, like I could barely do half the stuff in it. It was it's less like a hockey game and more like a hockey simulator. It is extremely complicated. And I told her, I said, you know what I really wish we had was I wish we had the Nintendo 8-bit hockey. You ever play the Nintendo 8-bit hockey? No. No, where you can make your guys either fat, medium, or skinny. And then you only had, it was 4v4. And you just, it was, it was a game. It wasn't a simulator. It was a game. The only sports game I played was Pilot Wings. Okay. Okay. Well, if you ever want, I guess you can't get a dose of nostalgia if you never played it, but if you ever want to try to get into my head of what it might be like to play an old nostalgic Nintendo game, there is a game for PS4 and other systems called Super Blood Hockey, which is... Super Blood Hockey. Super Blood Hockey, which is essentially... It's an 8-bit game. It is essentially the same exact game as Nintendo Hockey. And it's couch co-op? It is couch co-op, but... It's just bloodier and it's bloodier in the very cartoony sense of like the, anytime you hit a guy, just blood pours out, but it's eight bit blood. So it's cute. Um, And so Sonia and I, we were on the same team. We were playing together. She, she, we probably aren't going to play too much of it together. (laughs) She's, it's very hard to get her to, to like a video game, but um, we had a great time playing it. uh, And I, I can't wait to bring it on my trip to my parents' house because all four, all four of us, I've convinced my parents to play it. And so I can't wait to get all four of us on the same team playing against the computer just to see the chaos that will ensue. But um, Super Blood Hockey, it is a great hockey game. It's three buttons. It's hit, shoot, and pass. It's all you need. I mean, if you're playing one player, you also got triangle to switch characters but it's three buttons you don't need all this nhl 21 stuff three buttons hit shoot pass that's all you need so super blood hockey is a great game how Good about you know. <laughs> what's your love bite um my love bite for this week i'm not sure if i have recommended this mm-hmm. before But I think that if you are going to drink, it's always good to drink with some good music in the background. And Arthur has its theme by uh, Bert Bacharach, as we've mentioned. And I, as big cornball that I am, I'm a big fan of Bert Bacharach. I mentioned Walk On By. I think that's a really great song. Isaac Hayes has a version of that song that's really great. Uh, Also, Don't Make Me Over. Uh, That one is really great. There's just, there's so, there's so much good Burt Bacharach music. Um, 
Also, um, the Close to You, that's a Burt Bacharach song. I think mm-hmm. people underestimate how much of the great songs he's written. Also, uh, what's that? Uh, this Guy's in Love with You. That's also a Burt Bacharach song. So that's what I would like to recommend is listening to Burt Bacharach. All right. Very nice. All right. Well, cheers to that. It had to be. It had to be. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.